me say just a prayer for our um, our topic tonight. Pastor asked me to um, to preach just a little bit, and uh, I don't feel worthy to do this, but um, I do think God has spoken to me about something, so I'm very excited about this opportunity to share tonight. But let me say a word in prayer, and then we'll jump in. Thank you, God, for the people that have come here tonight. Thank you for their focus, their desire for your word, the way they read your word, and for their relationship with you, God. Thank you for this word that's already anointed, but I just ask you to anoint me to speak some words that would encourage them and inspire them and also anoint their ears to hear this so that we could all move forward in our walk with you tonight. In Jesus' name. So I want to talk to you tonight about a pretty basic topic, the place of work in our lives. And I, a little background here, God started speaking with me about this topic of work. And I'm sorry, some of you might be depressed already just hearing me mention that word. But God started speaking with me about this uh, at least back at Christmas time. Someone gave me as a gift this Bible here. And um, this is actually a little different Bible. It's called Faith and Work Bible. It's pretty unique in that it has uh, emphasis on work. And so it highlights every position in the Bible that discusses work. I think they said I had some water here this morning. Oh, brother Sam. So it emphasizes all the places in the Bible that discuss work, and it also uh, includes some uh, essays from people who discuss their work, the place that work has in their life, what it's meant to them, what it's done for their ministry. So I found it very exciting, and I was enjoying reading that, and um, I thought it was just for my own benefit. And then a few other things happened uh, that heightened my focus on this topic. And then when Pastor asked me to preach tonight, shortly thereafter, I realized that God was preparing me for this time. But one of the other things that happened was I'm a part of a group, and um, this group has a practice of probably like a lot of groups of purchasing Powerball tickets when the Powerball gets up to a few hundred million dollars. And so this group, sometimes they invite me to contribute, and then they learn probably that I don't contribute to that, so um, they stop asking me that. But I hear them talking about it often. And so actually the last time they were talking about it, I just was um, – listening kind of intently and and someone said you know i think maybe you have this wrong because you all purchase powerball tickets when the pot is really big it's a few hundred million dollars and like people all over the u.s are buying lots of tickets so your chances of winning are really really low maybe it'd be better if you would uh, buy some tickets when it's not so big fewer people are playing or maybe just play a local lottery maybe you have a really much better chance of of winning but when that was suggested the leader of this group he jumped in and he said not at all he said you see in in this this gentleman the de facto leader of this group he had already performed all these calculations and he knows exactly how many people play and he knows he's done the calculations on the tax rate and how the money would be split and he knows exactly if we win 400 million dollars if we win 600 if we win 800 then this is exactly what my portion is going to be. And so he said, the deal is, if we win a smaller one, I can't retire. i got to come back to work. So I'm not going to play those. 
because the only way I'm going to play is if I get to quit. And so then the topic shifted to, well, um, what will we do if we don't have to work anymore? And so then the topic went to, okay, well, I would um, call in from Hawaii or I would call in from Jamaica or I would email them or I might just at least um, drive by one day and tell them I'm not really here anymore. But we, it went on from there. But this caused me to, to really focus on this concept of work. Um, in, in summary, I believe, to this gentleman and probably many of us, work may be a curse. He doesn't like, like work. I mean, he wants to do, and, and that's not the only time that I've, I've heard this said, but, and, and I'm not picking on him, okay? I probably said some of this stuff myself, but some of us, we just don't want to work. And we view this as a curse. And we think this is simply something that we must do to survive in life. And I'm not here to pick on people that have said that before, but I just think it's really important for us to explore this topic tonight. Work is a, a part of our life that we all work with. So, and there are so many of you that I admire. And as I was preparing this, I was just trying to anticipate who was going to be here. And so many of you are my heroes. I know all about your work. I know the things you do. I'm so proud of you. So I'm glad you're here tonight to join with me in this. But this view that work is a curse is consistent with an essay that was written by Bob Black entitled The Abolition of Work. Now, Bob wrote, no one should ever work. Work is the source of nearly all the misery in the world. Almost any evil you'd care to name comes from working or from living in a world designed for work. In order to stop suffering, we have to stop working. And I thought that was kind of funny, too. I'm, I'm glad to see I wasn't the only one. But actually, while this sounds like a joke, this is an essay that was published in 1985. You can go on the Internet and read it. But it's not a mystery why some people have the view that work is a curse. After all, we spend probably over half of our waking hours working. I'm not very good with high math, but seven days times 24 hours is 168 hours in a week. They tell us we're supposed to sleep eight hours per day. That's 56 of those hours. So we have 112 hours left that we're awake. Uh, to most individuals, we work some 40 hours, some 50 hours, some 60 hours. I got some real heroes here tonight. I know some guys that work seven twelves. I believe that's 84 hours. I admire you. But on average, that results in us working over half of our waking hours. So it's pretty easy to understand why some people would view this work thing as a curse. And out of the other 50% of the time, that we're awake and not working, we have to take out of that eating, bathing, dressing, taking care of our children, or depending on how old they are, driving them around to various events, waiting in traffic jams, monitoring and maintaining control of the world via the Internet and social media, except during fast week. But all of this comes out of our other 50%. So we spend a lot of our time working. It's not really surprising that many people view work as a curse. But what do we see happening in the world with those individuals who don't have to work? They've won the lottery, or they inherited the money, 
somehow they came into this large sum of money quickly and without a lot of effort and without much planning and preparation. The wealth usually does not bring the happiness that my friend was talking about when they were calculating their winnings from the Powerball. The elation they have upon receiving the news of this good fortune doesn't last very long. <coughs> Soon they realize that this money is not at all that it was said to be. And they go back to work. Or they sometimes drug themselves to get away from the real world. Have you, do you know some of these people that have come into this money? Phyllis and I worked with a family in our law practice many years ago, and while we were uh, working with that couple, they won the lottery. They won a million bucks. They, they weren't into playing the big Powerball. They, they, were, they, were just into, they were into winning. So they played the, the smaller lottery, the smaller, yeah, the, the lottery, and they, they won a million bucks while we were working on their case. And amazingly, we worked on their case for a couple of years, and God bless, we were fortunate, and we, uh, we did pretty well on their case. And we delivered quite a large sum of money to them, in addition to the money they won in the lottery. But if you can believe it, by the time we finished working with them and closely associating with them, they were broke. They were completely broke. In fact, about 70% of the people who win the lottery or get the big windfall actually end up broke within three to four years, according to the National Endowment for Financial Education. I know you can't hardly believe some of this stuff I'm telling you. Just go check me out on the Internet, okay? About 70% of those people go broke, and many of them file bankruptcy within three to five years. So another interesting observation I have was people who suddenly come into money, they inherit it, or they win their lottery, or somehow they come across it, they stop working. But on the other side of the, 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 the shift, uh, people who work every day for their money, who actually have a plan and prepare and earn money and accumulate wealth, they don't ever want to stop working. I interesting, huh? I think that tells us something about work. Check me out. The people that earn their money, the people that invest and plan and prepare, they have lots and lots of money. They could retire many times over, but they keep working until they die. This tells us a lot, tells me a lot as I'm analyzing this concept of work. And I'm not here to, to pick on those people tonight. If you're one of those that won the money, came across it, however, hey, I'm all in. I'll have to study up a little bit so you can enjoy it and use it properly and have a good attitude about it, and we'll all, we'll all be fine. But I simply want to have a good understanding of what God's plan is for work in my life. I think that warrants us spending some time tonight answering the question. And my topic for tonight, is this a curse or is it an opportunity? So let's take a look at that question just for a few moments. <coughs> Work did not begin as a curse. As you open the Bible and begin to read from the first page, it begins with God working throughout the entire first chapter of Genesis. In verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 2, God spoke light into existence and created night and day. In verse 7, God created the sky. In verse 9, God created dry land. 
read this before. Um, this is a lot of work that God is doing. He, he was able to just speak some of this, but this is a lot of work in planning and executing this, even if you just speak to get it done. God created the seas in verse 10. In verse 11, God created plants and trees. Verse 16, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. In verse 21, God created the creatures of the sea and birds. Number 25, verse 25, God made livestock, wild animals, and all creatures that move along the ground. A lot of work going on in chapter 1, in the very first chapter of the Bible. In chapter 2, God did something totally different. In chapter 2 and verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on, the, on it he rested from all the work. We see work appearing here three times at least in the first three verses of chapter 2. I'm trying to find what work means. I'm going back to the beginning and back to the Bible and back to the first pages of the Bible to see what this work is about. So we find in chapter 2 references to work several times in the first few verses. And it said God rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then after resting a bit, God created man. Verse 7, God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Verse 15, very important. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Man is getting more involved with work here, with God. God did all this work in creating. Now he's engaging man with it. Does that sound like what, what we do nowadays? God has a lot of things planned. He, he puts a lot of things in motion, and he includes us in the work to go with that. He brought all these birds in the sky to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Now, notice, as of this time, I'm all the way up to chapter 2 and verse 19. And so far, I haven't mentioned Eve at all. And I have not said anything about eating the fruit or about any curses anywhere. One of our questions that we're exploring here, is this a curse or is this an opportunity? At this point in the Bible, God had created the world and virtually every natural thing in it that we know today. He created man to help him work on the earth and to take care of everything that he created at that time. So this is probably as far as some need to go in the Bible and in the study to draw the conclusion Work, this is not a curse. Work is an integral part of all that God is doing. I see so many similarities there today just as I did back then. But if we go further, we see the chapter in, in verse chapter 3 where God told Adam and Eve that they could eat fruit from every tree in the garden except the tree in the middle of the garden. We know that he told them if they ate the fruit from that tree, they would then become knowledgeable, and they would know good and evil. They would be like God. Um, and don't you know, that's what they did. They went to eat from that tree. So this is the source of the belief that 
the necessity that we work is a pure curse because God did issue some curses after Adam and Eve went and ate from that tree that he instructed them not to eat. But let's look just a little bit closer, and I'm moving along here. Um, don't want to go too deep into the weeds, but it's pretty interesting. Let's look at the curse. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the servant deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, he's, he's issuing a few curses here, and, and I'll hasten. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all life, wild stock, or livestock. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. To Adam, he said, and he does get pretty close to, to uh Putting some pressure on Adam here. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. So God cursed the ground because of what happened there. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. So he's cursing the ground. He's telling Adam he's going to have to do a little toil in his life. He'd already been working, but he's getting a little more specific with it here. He said the ground will produce thorns and thistles. So God cursed the ground because of the sin in the garden, and that caused Adam's work to be more difficult. However, Adam was already charged with doing some work before this happened. But, you know, before moving on and, and leaving this scripture and, and this part of the curse and, and the work, uh, you know, I just asked a question. Is the difficulty of our work often significantly impacted by our own actions? Here we clearly see that Man was put in the garden to work. His work was made much worse after they sinned. But I'm just wondering if sometimes when we don't obey, when we don't do what God has asked us to do, does our work get much more difficult? I've certainly found this to be true in my life. It's caused me to focus, focus a lot more on that. But a little bit on is it a curse? Well, moving to a different topic now, for some people, work is their identity and all that God put them on earth to do know a few people like that i think my wife would tell you she does something i have to work on in our society often work defines us so when you meet someone for the first time and i find this particularly to be true with men what's one of the first questions that comes up when you meet someone for the first time what do you do In that, in that statement, that question, what do you do? There's no mention to work. There's no mention to career anywhere. But the response always says, this is what I do. This is my career. This is what I work. This is the great things I've done. So society that we live in, it's, it creates an identity by the work that you do. So this is no doubt, this is because we spend so much of our time working and the type of work that we do and how good we are at our work often defines who we are. So what does it mean, just to play a little game here quickly to um, explore this point, what does it mean if I describe someone for you and I tell you that this person is an engineer or that this person is an artist or an athlete or a musician or a carpenter, a builder, or a pipe fitter? Do you know something about this person just by me telling you what they do? That tells us a lot about the individual. When we place that much emphasis on what a person does, there are huge 
pitfalls that that creates for us and things that we have to be on the lookout for. What if a person, if, if I'm, if my work becomes my identity or if I fall into this belief that work is all I was meant to do, then what happens if I need to change careers? I have to worry about will I be viewed less important in my next career? What if I lose my job? I may no longer have this identity, and maybe yet I feel I have no worth in society anymore. Maybe society has imposed that. But how often do we hear nowadays when a person loses a career that they react in an extremely dramatic fashion? What about if a quarterback loses his starting position? They say he got benched. That's a pretty dramatic little step right there. But what about a politician who loses an election? But society's view of this person suddenly rises or falls depending on their latest performance. Sometimes this causes people. This is one of the negatives I'm trying to, to back up here in case I'm too deep into the weeds. I'm trying to show you some of the pitfalls of focusing on work and causing that to be our identity. Sometimes when that happens to people, they don't respond well. Sometimes they go off and live in the woods. Sometimes they shoot themselves. Sometimes they shoot other people. Sometimes they shoot, they go postal and, and shoot a lot of other people. Dramatic things happen when people lose their careers because our identity can be, if we don't watch, our identity can be so closely tied to what we do, our work. We're trying to find out what work is and have the proper perspective on this. I have a very close friend who worked at one of the major plants in Baton Rouge for over 25 years. And my friend was humbly very proud of his position. He was thankful for it. He had plans to work there for many more years. He was going to retire and have a great benefit. And unfortunately, there was a miscommunication at the plant one day, and my friend lost his job. This was his identity for the most part for over 25 years. He was still able to draw a portion of his retirement when he gets to a certain age, and he can still go and, and get some insurance benefits at some time. But, you know, more than just the financial impact this had on my friend, this was a huge blow to him. This was who he was for over 25 years. He, was, he had identified with that position. And frankly, it took him quite a while to get over this. Shortly after that, for, for a while, he didn't want to go out. He didn't want to do much because he didn't know who he was. He didn't know what he was supposed to be doing. So I think many of us have experienced some of this. But this is what happens when our work becomes our identity. I'm proud to tell you that my friend moved on from that quickly. And after that, he told me many times, that plant can take away my job but they can't take away my life. I have another job. God is blessing me. I'm going on. I am doing something more. And I'm here to tell you tonight that my work is not my identity. I hope that should circumstances like that ever come to me, that I will have that same attitude that my good friend had. I am much more than just a lawyer. Chance, you are much more than just an engine builder. Brian, you are much more than an engine and chassis builder. You do much more than paint cars and build businesses and develop property. You are much more than that. 
I am a son. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a friend. I am a runner. I'm a biker. I'm a swimmer. My job is very important to me, but I want to keep it in perspective. It does not, it is not my identity. So moving along, some people would say, okay, I have this great suspicion that work is not a curse. I have this focus that I don't want to make work my identity and tie myself too closely to that work. But let's talk more about what work is and what are some of the positive attributes of that. Merriam-Webster's definition of work, actually there's quite a few of them, but the one that most closely identifies with what I'm speaking about tonight, it says to exert oneself physically or mentally, especially in sustained effort for a purpose or under compulsion or necessity. So I want to, to focus on this, physical or mental effort, especially sustained effort for a purpose. I think there is a purpose for our work. Now that we've talked about the curse and the identity, I want to try to find more about what that purpose is for our work. So what does the Bible say about work? It addresses this purpose for which God designed work. <coughs> so God reveals himself to the world by his work. In Psalm 19, verse 1 through 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. How often do you see and hear people talking about creation? They might look at the sunset. They may look at the beautiful sky. They may look at the beautiful grass, the beautiful trees, and talk about God and his handiwork. Does his work speak out and tell us so much about God? We also reveal ourselves to the world by the work that we do. Nick, can you look at um, some pipe that someone fit and welded and um, tell something about the person that done that work? Can you check out those wells and can you check out this design and these angles and tell something about this guy's, uh, you can tell whether he has character and you can tell whether he has skill and whether he cares about his work. But the work shows <coughs> the worker's skills, his personality traits, and his character. So we see some more ideas that God had when he, when he, in, 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 uh, he put work into our lives. This issue was addressed by the wisest man that ever lived, King Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Just not too long ago, uh, I spoke to you about King Solomon, and we talked about him building the temple, about the first temple and the second temple, and about this temple that we are sitting in tonight. But you heard all the details uh, of that temple and about all the, the specifics that God gave for that temple. And King Solomon built all that. But after accomplishing so much, Solomon uh, was an extremely wise man. He did so much. He accomplished amazing things that would have taken me a long time to tell you about. But as he was reflecting on that, in Ecclesiastes 2, King Solomon said, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. 
He's talking about what his work meant. He's reflecting on the work that he had done. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had called for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. Solomon was trying to figure out just what this work was about, and he was reflecting on all the work that he had done. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all their that they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain, even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. This sounds like they were experiencing some of the same things that we experience nowadays, staying awake at night, thinking about this work. A person can do, here's my point, verse 24 of Ecclesiastes 2, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toils. Now, he uses a little different language than I used in uh, 2018, but he's talking about finding satisfaction in your toils. Do you find satisfaction in your work sometimes? In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 12 and 13, King Solomon continues, I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. So maybe this scripture is suggesting to us the opportunity to work is a gift from God. When God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, this is still King Solomon, to accept their life and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. As you read this, he continues to say this in many different ways. He says that this ability to work and enjoy our work is a gift of God. I enjoy my work. I'm not trying to tell you that I don't sometimes view work as a curse. You know, in case I needed any confirmation that this was a topic that um, I hope you're in agreement with me, but in case I needed some confirmation that this is something we should talk about tonight, when I came in the building, I walked around the corner, and I overheard two people talking on the other side of the corner, and one of them said, how is your week going? And the other person said, well, my week, it's a week. It's just a work week. That's what it is. Well, I think that's coincidence. This is this is what we this is what we deal with every day. We have this this situation in life where we need to work, and this is some of the things that come out. But we enjoy our work, and I'm not saying that. Um, you know, I understand we're going to sometimes feel like this is a curse. Hopefully, more times we recognize that this is an opportunity. But I love doing work. I love, you know, I do some reading and writing. In my work, I enjoy that, but I like doing physical labor sometimes. I like mowing grass. I like weed eating. I like painting. I like doing carpentry work. This is some of the things, and I know you do as well, but this is the things that Solomon was talking about when he said enjoying your work. This is a gift of God that you can enjoy this work. But You know, one of my favorite hours uh, during the week is at 5 o'clock on Friday. 
and I know that's uh, contraindicated, so don't jump to the conclusion that I'm glad I'm getting off. But one thing that happens at 5 o'clock on Friday, infrequently when I'm in my car at that time, is a radio show that comes on. I listen to talk radio while I'm driving along. So at 5 o'clock on Fridays, there's a talk radio show. And the host, he salutes all the workers for that week. And at 5 o'clock on Friday, while you're driving home, there are people calling in, and they're talking about the work they did that week. And I do not recall anybody calling in ever and saying, oh, my God, this was the most horrible work. I can't believe I have to work. This is pathetic. No, these people are calling in, and they're excited about the work they did. And they celebrate the work that they did. They talk about the deals they made. They talk about how many hours they made and what they're going to do with their money that they made this week. And they talk about how excited they are for this job that they have. They have doctors that call in. They have engineers that call in. They have people of every walk of life that call in and celebrate their work after a long, hard week at work. I think that's what Solomon was talking about when he said, there's nothing better than to eat and, and enjoy your life. This is a gift of God. Rushing along here, uh, I'm trying to move quickly. Uh, in Exodus 31, verse 1 through 6, God talked a little bit more through Moses about this work and his design <coughs> for us. God provided Moses great detail. Let me uh, shorten this here. I'll just summarize. We talked all about the details of the tabernacle. Uh, and, and first of all, in the, in the first tabernacle we talked about, it was Moses that he gave all these details. In the next one, it was Solomon, but he gave great details. But in Exodus 31, uh, God goes into specifics, and he's talking to Moses here. He said, go and find this person. These are some really long names here. I don't want to bore you with all these details. But he says, go find this person, and they're going to do that work. Go find that person, and they're going to do that work. And he says, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. I'm, I'm getting to the point of talents and personalities and callings and things that God has set you up to do here. Way back in Exodus 31, God is talking to Moses, and he says, I've called these people out. I've given them skills to do this work. I have commanded to make everything I have commanded you. He's getting detailed here. The tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant law, and the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings, the tent, the table, and its articles. He goes on. Uh, I have given these people special talents to do that. I believe there are so many in this place that he's given. Sam, I would uh, not want to do your job. I don't know how many... I don't know how many legions of people that is you manage. I can't remember, maybe from 50, 60, 70 or upwards. God didn't give me talent to do that. He gave me talent to, to work on like one project at a time. But he gave you talent to manage 70 people. God equipped us for this work. Hastening along, Paul admonished the early believers to work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2, um, we hear that some among you, this is jumping way ahead to the New Testament. Paul is talking to his church in the New Testament. He says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Some people we command, um, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. 
And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with him. People that don't enjoy work like this scriptures that we're reading here, don't associate with them. That's his, that's his instruction. I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm, I'm just quoting the Bible here right now. Do not associate with him in order that they may feel ashamed. Paul went further in 1 Timothy 5 and 8, and he said, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So let me uh, try to wrap this up in closing. Uh, why don't our musicians come and, and play a little bit? Uh, this is not a shouting service, uh, but I would like you to come down to the front tonight, and I would like to get a little bit more personal with this. I want to give you the opportunity to reflect more um, on your work and your perspective and your attitude about that. Everyone, uh, let's go ahead and stand and come down around the front if you would. But in closing, I would ask you, think about the most rewarding work that you have ever done or the work that you are the most proud of. Now, teachers, was that something really neat that your students learned from you? Carla, did you teach those students something? And you see them doing it over and over again, and you think it's going to change their life forever. Mechanics, was it a really cool car that you designed and put together? Carpenters, was it a really special structure that you built? Wesley, was it a, a workplace that you built for a family, and you see them enjoying it? I want us to focus. Uh, Rachel, was it a, a problem that you helped someone solve, and did you change their life and change the life of their family forever? I want us to focus on some of the most important and most rewarding work that we've been able to do. Computer techs, Ron, was it a program that you wrote or a patch or a fix that helped a group perform volumes of work with little effort and 100% accuracy? The specific work that you have put at the top of your list as your most rewarding work ever I believe that demonstrates what God's plan is for work in our life. Although along the way, in every one of those, think about, focus on the most rewarding work that you've done and what you have on your list. Along the way, there were many days it felt like a curse. And you went home that day thinking this was a curse. But also, there were many other days, and surely toward the end of that project, you realized, this is an opportunity. I'm going to make a difference. In my career, I've been blessed to work on a few cases that most people would think were significant. And God has blessed me to win some trials, to feel a sense of accomplishment on some days. And I, I'm thankful for that. I enjoyed that on some days, but I'm thankful that I stuck with it and worked through it, and I enjoyed that success, and that's something that I'll remember. In some cases, my clients benefited in a very significant way, and on occasion, I was able to benefit financially from the work that I've done. Yet, as I reflect on my work, and as I look to the top of my list as some of the most rewarding work that I've ever done, 
it's not that work that I'm focusing on. One day, day very early in my legal career, my wife worked in the, the law office with me. We had our own small firm, and we were somewhat on a shoestring. And, and looking back from here, we realized we were more on a shoestring than we even knew then. But Phyllis and I were able to work very closely with a family. A friend of mine called me up, and he said, I know this family, and they don't have any children. And they've heard about an opportunity they have to get a baby. And at that point in time, about two or three years into my career, I had never looked at a single adoption pleading. I didn't know anything about adoption. And as I said, we were on a shoestring. But we recognized that the work we were trying to do was more important than just making money. And we said, good, let us try to help that family. And so short of it is, we were able to work very closely with that family through a difficult process. We uh, read the law, studied up, got some forms, did what we needed to do. And at the conclusion of that piece of work, we told these people, we know you don't have money. That was the reason why they had struggled so much. And so we did this work without charge to them. But on the last day that I live on this earth, I will remember one day when I went into the woman's hospital, that was when they were over on Airline Highway. And I went in there and they rolled a young mom out there who had a precious baby that she couldn't take care of right then. And I, we, Phyllis and I, walked over there and we grabbed that little baby and we just turned around and walked about five or six steps and we put that little baby into the arms of a precious family who would give anything they had for a little baby. That family loved this little girl like no child ever. And that's been <coughs> probably <coughs> 23 or 24 years ago now. We watched that little girl grow up. And that little girl is a woman now. That little girl has a family of her own. Somewhere she's raising her own family. And she's teaching her children to love God and doing a work that he's called her out to do right now. But I'm just trying to show you, sometimes work is a curse, but sometimes it's an opportunity. And if we have that perspective, I believe we're going to be successful and we're going to enjoy this work that God's called us out to do. All of my work has not been that rewarding. There have been many days that I struggled. It was very difficult cases under intense pressure. That work did not seem so rewarding to me as I handled that adoption case. But that work was just as much a part God's plan and a part of my work as it was on that good day. So again, I pose that question in moving toward closure tonight. A half hour ago, I asked you, is this a curse or is this an opportunity? So for those of you, and please no one raise your hands right now. For those of you who said it's a curse, you're right. For you, it is a curse. If that's the way you feel, if that's the way you approach your day, it is a curse. For those of you said this is an opportunity, you are correct. If you have that attitude and you march forth with that attitude, you are correct. This is an opportunity. It just so happens that I heard another conversation on my way in tonight. I heard two conversations about work. The other one was I heard one person say, 
How was work? And that person said, it was good. Work, it's always good. It's good. It was a good day. That person, for a moment, they showed some carnality there. They realized it was, it was a struggle. But they ended on that strong note. This was a good day. Work is always a good day. So I'm not here playing mind games with you tonight, but I'm just trying to, 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 to share a few experiences, to share some scripture with you, and motivate you to focus on the work that God has called us out to do. So God will use your work for you to provide for yourself, for you to provide for your family, for you to help others. And I, I could go into a lot of detail here. I don't want to take any more of your time, but there's scripture for all of this, and I prepared a lot of this. I don't want to keep you any longer, but I believe that many of you are not at the final place in your career. I, I enjoy talking to you all about your work. I, I know a lot about your works uh, because I, I, I'm, I'm praying about that with you. I talk to you about that. I care about that. But I just know that many of you, while you enjoy your work, while you're earning money for your family, while you're doing a great job, you pro some of you, I know, think that there's still something more for you, and God is leading you to a different place. And for those of you, I appreciate you coming here tonight and coming down to the front. And I would like for you to recommit yourself to God and recommit to God that you're going to consider the perspective of work and you're going to have the attitude about it. And I know some of you are working through, I don't want to embarrass people, so I'm not, I'm not speaking specifically about individuals, but I know some of you experienced many of these things that I'm talking about here. I'm just telling you, this is a, this is a, a part of life that God began the, the Bible with, and he's ending the Bible with it. So wherever you are tonight, if you're in the perfect job, that's great. For those of you who are not and you're moving on with your career, if you want to, we'll pray with you tonight. I want you to recommit yourself to God and to, to focus on the work. And I believe that God has a plan to prosper you. I do not believe this is a curse. I do not believe that this is going to be a strain on you forever. The Bible clearly says, Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, I know the plans that I have for you. Fill your name in the blank right here. Scott, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Whoever needs this victory tonight, put your name in the blank. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So as the musicians uh, play a little background music and, and just sing, I'm going to ask you just for a few moments. It's, uh, it's 8-12 now. Let's just take just a couple minutes. And if you would, ask God to speak to you about this. I want you to enjoy your work and fulfill everything that God has for you. And if those that want us to pray with you and believe with you on those lines, 